welcome to the penultimate episode of season one of Roots Rock Riot, the Grassroots Rugby Podcast with me, Ian Harries. This week, we are speaking to the incredible East London Vixens, who, as the name would suggest, play out of East London. They are the women's team for East London RFC and are the sister club of former guests of the podcast, the King's Cross Steelers. Currently playing in the NC1 division with a brilliantly diverse squad of players, we talk through the pathways into women's rugby, the RFU transgender policy and its impact on players, and all the benefits playing rugby can bring women everywhere. This week, uh, we are speaking to the East London Vixens, and we are joined by Kat, who is Vice Chair and Women's Rugby Officer. Hello. And we are joined by Lisa, and we spoke before about what your role is, and I'm going to read out everything <laughs> I've written down in my notes. Social media and committee member and pathway and partnerships liaison. Sounds about right. Hi. Which, and as we said before recording, there's a lot of hats that are involved with being on the committee in a rugby team. So I think that's something which uh, will hammer home for a lot of people. I think that's a, a, everything I've realised about grassroots rugby is that everybody does a bit of everything. Otherwise, nothing works. Oh, yeah. And once you start getting involved, there is oh, no, no backing out. There is no stepping away. There's a snowball. You show a little bit of willing. Oh, yeah. There's There's no silence like the silence after our secretary says does anybody want to do this role next season and (laughs) then like you can hear people's like the blood pumping around their veins level of silence that that famous meme of a homer simpson sinking into the bush (laughs) every everything can be spoken about in simpsons memes so thank you for joining in terms of uh kind of you guys in rugby obviously uh women's rugby i think is uh we would have spoken about this on a previous episode, but it is the one of the fastest growing sports, I think, in the UK in terms of like registered players and people actually playing. How long have you guys been playing for and what brought you to kind of the sport and then the East London Vixens? OK, so I've been playing for nearly nine years and my occupation is I'm a firefighter. And we were approached, uh, we were at a local borough um, fair and we were approached um, by uh, the girls that were part of the team at the time and were handed a flyer. I think they saw girls in uniform and thought, oh, they might be interested. Um, it was myself and um, my very good friend who is part also part of the team and we also worked together. Uh, so we, yeah, and yeah, we talked about it and we thought, oh, we might as well give it a go. Um, and we went down to the open day and kind of the rest was history, really. I fell in love with it from the moment that I walked into that club. And I've been at East London the whole time. Oh, wow. Had you played before at all or was it completely? No, not at all. I'd always, I'd always watched and liked the idea of it um, and like, enjoyed watching it on the telly and, and thought that I understood. But clearly when I started playing, I realised I really didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, um, yeah, I kind of, I wish I had started it. Um, I actually didn't start playing um, until I was so nine years ago so yes uh, 27 I joined and I and I wish I'd had started a lot sooner I kind of 
was put off slightly. My mum told me I had too much of a pretty face and I shouldn't, didn't want to hurt my face. <laughs> and was, uh, yeah, kind of put off, unfortunately. But um, that's probably one of my biggest regrets is that I didn't start at a younger age. But, um, yeah, I'm glad I did eventually uh, not listen to uh, not listen <laughs> to the, listen to to the my mum anymore because I was a big girl and, uh, and I loved it, as, like I said, as soon as I walked through those gates. So my main takeaway from there is it must have been one an incredibly good flyer. <laughs> um, you know what? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> and two, they they were fine with you being a firefighter. Yes, yes. But rugby yeah. was too far. Yeah, well, my mum didn't have much choice now, unfortunately. Like, um... <laughs> I mean, it speaks to how much people are scared of rugby, right? If people are like, yeah, you can run into a burning building, but oh, no, not on the front row. No. <laughs> Well, it just shows you the first, the one of the first times, well, the, the first and only time my mum came down to me watch, I actually split my head open and came off the pitch with a face <laughs> full of blood. And she's not been back since, unfortunately. It always, my, my parents are exactly the same. Of Neither of them have seen me play because it's, uh, the quote is something always like, well, we're glad you're having fun, but yeah. don't I don't need to see it. <laughs> no, exactly, yeah. And uh, Lisa, what about you? What brought you to... Uh, the wonderful game of rugby. Oh, I mean, I it was in my life through my dad. He played. He was hooker for Coldy when he was young, um, and was obviously sustained a horrible injury in the scrum and didn't play again um, after he was about twenty-five. And so we'd watched a lot of rugby together. It was kind of our thing, and it did a lot of shouting at the TV. And my dad used because I'm I'm five foot ten. And my dad used to say to me, "Oh, you'd make a, a great second row." Um, but it, women's rugby was not really a thing that I was aware of when I was growing up. Um, and I remember at university, they did have a team and one of them tried to recruit me during the Freshers' Fair. And I just kind of, I don't know, I just didn't go for it. Um, and then many years passed and one of the Steelers um, had a brother who worked for the same company as me and said, did you want to do a, an event with them? They just had the movie out, um, the, the Amazon films, this is about three years ago. And we... I, I'm the chair of the um, Pride Network at work. And this obviously with the, the gay rugby team thing, it could link in. And then the, the um, chairman at the time saw the opportunity and sent me the sponsorship brochure and said, well, actually, we're looking for corporate sponsorship. Would you be interested? And this included Vixens because it, um, the Vixens and the Steelers, as you know, worked together yeah. to provide a fully inclusive pathway to rugby. I managed to get the sponsorship through my firm. Um, so we did that part and I came down to see some of the the sort of well you know pathway to rugby days and then I just thought why not so I went through the pathway myself so I've been playing for a whole one season this is, my, this is the beginning of my season. second season yeah and a lot and a lot of convincing from me come on let me take some of the credit it's true. that is true like, it's all cat's fault it's all cat's fault <laughs> She, do you know what? Every time he did an event, she was like, I said, I'm too old. I can't do it. I'm too old. And she said, no, no, you won't be the oldest player. You won't be the oldest player. We've got an older player than you. And it was pretty convincing. And yeah. And I look back now and I'm like, mate, I have taken so much beating in the last year. <laughs> it's been shocking. But she, yeah, she did a very good job. You love every minute of it. You know, I you do. Did. I do. I can't lie. I do. It hurts, <laughs> but I do. <laughs> Oh, oh yeah, it, it hurts, but I wouldn't. I, I, I haven't been able to play for uh, for this season, and it's it's unsettling waking up on a Sunday or uh, the day after a game and feeling okay. It's it's like something <laughs> something is missing. That can't be right. You obviously didn't That's... play hard enough. That, exactly, exactly. So, had you played before, or were you just kind of interested in 
the game? No, never. Um, I, I picked up a rugby ball for the very first time when, when I turned up to the, the try rugby day. So that was literally the first time I picked up a rugby ball. Um, I've, always, you know, I've, I've weight trained for the last 10 years. Um, I was looking for something that was going to keep me fit and, and crucially something that was going to get me out of the house in wintertime. Because yeah. I'm hot, you know, when it, when, if the sun, if there's no light, it's the sofa and TV. Whereas I now have this thing where we're rolling about in the mud and it's three degrees. And there's a little part <laughs> of my brain that goes, nobody is making you do this. You are choosing <laughs> to do this. Right. But I also think that Kat's voice is also in my head going, yeah, yeah, but she'd get on my case if I stopped. So uh... <laughs> you're damn right. <laughs> but it works. I mean, it's, it's like nothing I've ever done. Um, and I think this is the the beauty and and the message that we we you know in our active recruiting want to get out to other women is that it is a sport that you can take up clearly later in life. It is a sport for pretty much anyone, right? There's this yeah. this idea that women's rugby, particularly, you don't have to be lean, you don't have to be fast. You can be the the bigger heavier person there is a role for you in that game and I think a lot of women historically I spent a lot of my time because I'm so tall um, although not the tallest because I'm tall and I'm big I spent a lot of my time thinking I can't do sports I can't do I don't fit in I had a horrible relationship with PE at school and I think a lot of Mm. people do especially if you're if you're carrying more weight or you're you're big and rugby doesn't care you know there is nothing more inclusive for women when society when the you know media feeds you this image of what women should look like there is nothing that will make you feel more normal more included than a grassroots women's changing room yeah definitely it's like um that my one of my favorite um phases round round rugby is uh, the saying of um rugby when the big guy doesn't get picked last and it's so true <laughs> you know and it just you know and they literally you know you walk you, you walk into our change room and you, you see you know someone that is four foot nine <laughs> you know and about five stone bless her and then we've also got people like you said five ten even six foot you know 20 odd stone you know so there's such an such an extreme and there's you know it's it is generally for me one of the most the most inclusive sport because there is literally a place and a job for everyone well yeah. it was I mean, I don't know if, how much we want to talk about this because this is where things get political. But we were one of the few clubs that to have a trans woman player, um, yeah. and obviously, as of July last year, she was no longer allowed to play. Yeah, the RFU took the view that they would just ban all trans women from competing. Yeah, which I so th- this isn't the subject we've talked about in detail yet, but I'm happy to talk about it. But also. I will apologise now because I haven't prepared or made notes of anything like that. But that's okay. if I'm right, there were so few trans players impacted by this, you could probably have named them all. Yeah. So uh, at the time, there was there was eight registered on. So obviously, as you know, everyone everyone that plays rugby uh, needs to be registered under the RFU. Um, there was eight. Um, uh, trans women registered and only actually four active playing at the time. And that's the important thing for us to bring a rule in about that would impact yeah. four people. 
And they were yeah. already submitting to really quite stringent um, guidelines. It was done mm. on a case by case basis. They all had to submit um, hormone re level readings, which frankly, if they made all cis women submit those readings, there would probably be more women outliers, you know, cis women outliers oh, yeah. to those numbers, right? So they were- Oh yeah, 100%. And you had to have hit those for a consistent six months before you would be allowed to play. Yeah. But then the RFU suddenly just decided that that was not, and it was working. It was intrusive and unnecessary, but it was working. Mm. I mean, it's kind of meaningless anyway, right? Because if you look at the diversity of size among cis women, you've got women, like Kat said, who are tipping the scale, what, 110 kgs hmm. who are in the front mm. row, and then women who are less than half that. But it's always about, it's positioned to be as, as being about women's safety, and it's not, largely. But they swept that away, and they said, blanket, bam, and that was it. So yeah. we're, we're one of the clubs who's watched someone go through losing a sport that they love. And yeah. it's horrible. Well, it's like you said. So we, uh, the club I play for over the summer, uh, will do touch rugby with the women's team that we share a pitch with. And there are players on that team who could destroy me. <laughs> like like you said, there are, there are players on that team who are infinitely quicker than me there are players on that team who are a lot stronger than me there are players that are bigger than me smaller than me like like you said it's it's by definition a sport for everyone and of every size and it's but now not if you're trans which is no. really disappointing it, it, it's something i think i mentioned on the steelers episode of it's it's heartbreaking because rugby is always supposed to pride itself as the sport that was for everyone exactly and exactly going out of its way to, yeah, exclude And unfortunately, people. a lot of other sporting bodies, you know, sporting governing bodies followed suit um, yeah. and have enacted bans. But you know what? It's not fixed in stone. Um, I know that the Steelers, um, they have representation on the RFU committee um, and they are doing work to yeah. bring around those members of the RFU, you know, because when the vote happened, it was not, you know, strongly one way or the other. I mean, it, obviously a, a majority voted for the ban, but it wasn't a huge majority. So there is education going on, there is work to be done, and that can happen at grassroots level as well. I think I think what was disappointing at the time is that they never actually approached the people that, um, that were affected the most. You know, they never actually come and asked, you know, women within within the leagues uh, at grassroots level. Like we were never, we're the ones it affects directly and we were never consulted. And I think that was what was most disappointing. And like you said, like we all pride ourselves on, you know, and love this sport. And it was almost a level of betrayal, you know, that because we that was that was and you know that's that's the number one lie. You know, we're we're all inclusive. There's a place for everyone. And then suddenly, you they know, changed they, they changed it. They changed the goalposts. You know, and yeah, like I said, it, it was it was. It was heartbreaking because it like it was a betrayal. And it's from the same body that's pushing rainbow laces and things like that, exactly. right? Like it is exactly. very mixed messaging. Literally the season before, um, I I received I don't I don't know if you know this, obviously every year there's the um the volunteer the RFU volunteer of the year awards. Um and I received the um diversity and inclusion awards um for all my work. Um, with um, setting up the partnership with the Steelers, um, and you know, and how include and the push and how inclusive we are, and you know, accepting everyone and 
everyone that comes through our gates and they have literally awarded me this diver this same body has awarded me this diversion inclusion award and you know clapped me on the back and said well done and then literally three months later they the same people have you know <laughs> have put this ridiculous this ridiculous ruling you know so here's an award but moving forward could you be less inclusive yeah yeah 100 percent 100 percent yeah it, it's yeah, I, I don't I don't understand the decision no. in the slightest. It, it's I, I completely understand the need to uh well, I mean there's the need for research into female sport and women's sport anyway. There is a huge discrepancy oh, yeah. in the amount of research that goes into the men's game and men's biology than there is women's sport and, and women's there's, biology. And the the research that has happened does not support any of these decisions no. so there have been three studies that have come out there's a meta-analysis being conducted right now there's a study that we're waiting for the results for that was done by Loughborough um, where they actually brought in a lot of trans athletes but nothing that has come out of any of those preliminary results supports these decisions um, in fact they, they show the reverse a lot of the time because trans women who've gone through male puberty um, and are now, you know, taking hormones, their bodies, their muscles shrink, they become weaker, they are much more prone yeah. to things like osteoporosis, um, they're, because they have larger skeletons in the main, they end up without the muscle structure to support that. Mm. Um, so they are doing this, because this is ultimately who they are, but it, it has negative impacts in terms of sporting prowess and in terms of physical ability. Um, and, it, you know, we say trans athletes have been able to compete at the Olympics for the last 24 years. How many trans Olympic, you know, gold medalists are there? None. Oh. So this idea that this they have this elite. And then if you look at someone like Michael Phelps, he has a unique um I can't remember what it is, but he has he produces some a certain amount of a, an additional enzyme, and he's he's a freak because of that, and it allows him to recover more quickly. And people were like, "Oh, he's a born athlete. He's a born Olympian. He's a born." It's like I'm sorry, he has an artificial, a physical advantage, but because he's a cis man, they didn't look yeah. at that and go, "Oh, hang on, well, we have to ban him from the sport." Sorry, but they did it with Casta Semania. Yeah, they it, banned it's... her from athletics. If if I'm right, it's something that breaks down lactic acid quicker, or yes, something that's like that, and it yeah. allows him to recover more effectively yeah. from exertion. Right, so that's a unique something unique to him. Castisamania had a similar kind of physically unique physical advantage, but because she is a kind of gender non-conforming woman, there was a bit. So there's a sexist as aspect to it as well, and then you've got kind of overlaid. You've got transphobia, and I, I legitimately hope that we can work against it with evidence. You know, if we can show that trans women, you know, they're not. And I think I've been tackled like by said, trans women and by cat, and it's like it hurts <laughs> just as much whoever it's coming <laughs> from. Like we said, it's like there was there was the the evidence, the actual physical evidence isn't there. You know, and a lot of it is driven by fear. Um, yeah. and you know, the fear of the unknown. And like I said, we never at that one point have said that, that it, it shouldn't be looked at. We've always agreed there's, you know, that we're, that it needs to be, that, you know, obviously it needs to be highlighted and we're asking that that's why we're asking obviously for the case by case basis. And, you know, when you're looking at grassroots rugby and women's grassroots rugby, like we said, there's literally four women yeah. that it affects. So, why can't we look at a case by case basis? Well, that's the thing. I have the time to look at that on a case by case basis. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it, it's it it doesn't make sense, and it's 
I, I think like you said, Lisa, it's just the, it's the very transphobic approach of it's the mentality that people have made this decision on a whim overnight rather than it being. Yeah. But transphobia um, is, yeah. is the current scapegoat. 30 years ago, yeah. it was fear of gay people generally. Right. Yeah. And this is what the Steelers were founded on the back of that, that you know, dealing with homophobia, finding a safe space mm -hmm. for themselves. Um, and, and transphobia is the new version of that. You know, it was put out there that, you know, what, you know, the example given is, is what if a, a professional male decides one, the professional male rugby player decides one day that he, he wants to identify as female and the next day he walks out and, in, and tries to join a women's rugby team. Well, that's not going to happen. That you know, that's it couldn't <laughs> happen. It wouldn't happen exactly. You know, and like for example, like you know, she won't mind me mentioning her name, Alex, who was part of our team. You know, if you look at Alex individually, she was a fifty-two-year-old woman, yeah, who never played rugby before. You know, so and came out onto you know in, uh, to join rugby, and she is at risk to no one at all. You know, there's she's no, she has no more advantage on that pitch to anyone smaller than her than I do. And she's not the biggest player that we come up against, no, she's right? Really not in our league. She's absolutely not. Um, but it's just, it, it's one of those things that you look at it, you break it down, and it isn't logic that's leading these decisions. It's yeah. it's emotion. Um, yeah. And I do hope that as we progress further down, there being more evidence more evidentiary support to say there is no advantage that the RFE will you know reconsider its decision yeah I, I hope hopefully or my my hope with it all is because I mean you said it yourself Lisa like this isn't uh trans people isn't a new thing people are acting like it's something that has magically <laughs> appeared over the last okay. four years like okay. it's deeply ingrained in things like Pacific Island culture and stuff like that it's not a a new concept so I'm hoping that now things like this are a lot more, you know, well, very similar to how women's rugby, which we will we will talk about, is a lot more in the media and front and centre now. You are having yeah. a lot of these voices that have been on the outside being a lot more front and centre and a lot more, you know, people are aware of it. People are now being brought up aware that, you know, people are different and we're all incredibly unique people who make up the human race and things like that. And then, like you said, like <laughs> if their idea is to push that they're looking into research and data, and that is unequivocally showing one thing, we can all hope that the right decision is kind of made off of the back of it. Yeah, I mean, evidence doesn't, won't sway people. You know, you can't reason somebody oh, yeah. out of a position they didn't reason themselves into. Um, Definitely. But when you know major sporting bodies are concerned it's very hard for them to stick with the decision if if there is evidentiary support to say this is the wrong decision and hope hope hopefully if important decision makers are listening you you are, <laughs> you are wrong um and it's okay to be wrong and and yeah. they can walk it back and they can apologize and we move on exactly yeah it's yeah it is it is infuriating so we've we've mentioned we've mentioned them a lot already, but obviously uh, via this discussion, via the pathway that Lisa was on. So you guys are very close with the Kings Cross Steelers, who have previously been uh, on this podcast. Um, yeah. How long has that relationship been ongoing? What does that kind of 
look like for you guys? Um, so uh, we share a clubhouse um, with the Steelers. So East London Rugby Club uh, in towers of um, three men's teams and us as the uh, the ladies team, the Vixens. Um, and we also we share the clubhouse with the Steelers. We were approached um, about the three seasons we've been in partnership with them now. Um, we were approached by uh, the chairman at the time. Uh, myself was approached and asked if we were um, keen to make our relationship. We've always had a good relationship with them, um, obviously, sharing a clubhouse. Um, <laughs> but if we wanted to make our relationship um, uh, official and professional um, and, uh, yeah, it kind of went from there, really. Obviously, we have... Um, for us, it, uh, it opens fantastic doors. Um, the Steelers, as you know, have uh, an amazing reach uh, that we would never, we, we would dream of, really. You know, obviously, like we've mentioned, the documentary, um, just anyone who's anyone um, within the rugby world has heard of the Steelers. Um, so, yeah, for, for us to be um, even a slightly associated with them um, is incredible. Um, and things like the um, sponsorship uh, became available because of it. Um, and, um, yeah, like it's – we've sort of gone from strength from strength, really. Like, um, And the pathway – the Steelers are able to um, offer the pathway system – um, which we can be a part of, which is absolutely fantastic. And again, it's something that individually as a team or even as a club, we, we wouldn't necessarily be able to offer without the help from the Steelers. Yeah, and I think the, the pathway, um, given given we have first-hand experience uh, of the pathway program, I think you guys mentioned it on the uh, at the beginning as well of like, you know, just because you guys grew up into rugby and watching rugby doesn't necessarily mean there was the access to it or awareness that it was something you guys could even realistically play right so how important has the what was kind of, i mean kind of a question for for both of you but what did it look like kind of before this pathway program in terms of getting people on board so that's more a question for cap and then yeah. how has it been since this has been uh in place so like most grassroots rugby clubs um it is literally a case of someone gets in contact with us or might be approached like myself being approached with a leaflet etc uh you can literally come down to the club uh show your interest go off you go there's your people over there on that pitch you know get stuck in pretty much you know and with a um you know as a one you know we've got one ladies team we've got one coach and it's not always you know the as as a coach trying to teach um people that brand new people have never even seen you know picked up a rugby ball before and also trying to continue the development of a of a growing side is an incredibly difficult task you know yeah. um obviously coaches across you know all rugby teams have to do it they just get on with it sort of thing but the pathway uh, and having that, you know, that availability, having those extra coaches, having that time where they completely can dedicate themselves to people, these, you know, people that have never played before and they go through each stage of development where they reach a level 
of understand you know not completely because I, okay i still go onto the rugby pitch and and learn things every day you know oh, like, so rugby is <laughs> one of those sports you know but you know have a uh, have a better understanding um of how the game runs um you know and and where they're supposed to be and you know like i said on all round just just you know uh a better grips of the of the game in general and the skills that it requires of them uh, and then they're fed back into the mainstream team where they're then at a level where you know they're not as lost and um things don't seem as daunting you know especially for for women sometimes like you know like entering into you know because it is physical um you know and there is a lot you know the lot going on it, you know it can be very very you know it, it can, can be off-putting for some you know some people like can be think no and that's too much I don't you know I can't I can't get to grips with that and they'll mm. they'll walk away where hopefully if you look at the, the dropout path- rate of the pathway that's for everybody right so the pathway that yeah. I was on it was started out with 70 men and four women and when we finished I think it was about 35 guys and me mm. so you know it the, the drop array is huge for lots of different reasons. But to Kat's point, you know, there's there's one thing to go, oh, I want to have a go at rugby. And then there's when you've been dumped on your backside a few times by tackles, you think, oh, maybe not. It's an introduction to rugby with a little bit of more of a softer hand, <laughs> yeah. you know, so it's just like a gentle approach rather than just get on with it, you know. Yeah. Because it's broken down into segments. You do get a, you know, very basic 101 insight into each part of the game um not to the extent that i would happily be able to explain all the rules to you because that's like kat said an ever-increasing bit of information a bit of knowledge but you know basic passing rucking um i'm still not 100 percent on where i'm supposed to be standing at any given time during a game but we'll get to that um you know scrumming uh, whatever if you're if you're a forward or a back they'll break it down for you and it is fed to you in little bite-sized pieces which is great because when you do then in my case when I kind of dropped into the Vixens I won't say it wasn't terrifying because everything was played at a much more rapid tempo Um, and then when the guys do their kind of pass out game they finally put together and they actually play a whole game um, and they do a sort of graduation piece Um, but I think if I had just shown up to the Vixens and said, look, I want want to play, I would have had a very different experience. Um, To to Kat's point, asking a coach who is coaching an existing competing women's side to then also find time to break down the the game for you and teach you, you you would pick it up, but I think it would be very different. And the pathway is unique from that perspective. And a lot slower pace, you know, and the the development of, of your skill level it would be, you know, a lot less than it is with the pathway. You know, you can progress a lot more uh, in in uh, three months, isn't it? Right, Lisa, yeah, is that correct? That. In those three months, than you than you would necessarily if you were just thrown into the game or thrown straight into the the um, existing side. I mean, it's so good from that perspective. You know, if you if you have never played before, or if you played, I don't know, at school and you haven't touched a rugby ball for twenty years, it's ideal because it is that you know, dip your toe in. Um, you get to say, I don't understand, or can we do that again? Or, you know, can we have another go? Whereas if you were training with the existing squad on, you know, on their training nights, you might feel like you were using up their time if you were saying, look, you know, can we have another go at this? Or can we do some some basics? Um, that's not to say everybody doesn't benefit from a session on the basics every mm. now and then. Oh, yeah, 100%. But, 
but um, the, the pathway is unique from that perspective. I don't know that there is another a similar kind of you know route into rugby anywhere else. Um, and I would encourage everybody listening to come and sign up for next year's, um, especially for women, because it is great. <laughs> and, and, you know, you do get insights from dedicated coaches um, and you make the other thing that's fantastic is you meet a whole bunch of new people who have a shared interest. I know people who joined the pathway because they actually wanted to meet people, not for the rugby. Um, yeah. They were, you know, a gay man new in London, wants to meet another a load of other gay men to expand their social circle, have discovered that they're actually really good at rugby and now have a whole new take on it. I don't think their plan was to actually play much. I know one of them who's, I think, now been promoted into the second team. So, you know, it gives you a social aspect as well. Yeah, and I'm guessing from, especially from kind of the women's rugby side as well, I think from what you were saying about if there wasn't the pathway and you'd gone straight to um, uh, the Vixens, like in the men's game, it is definitely taken for granted that I would have played it at school. Yeah. And I know it is a lot more likely that I would have played it at school than, uh, so I know speaking just from, purely my experience girls PE at my secondary school did not do rugby so there would have been no opportunity yeah yeah it was if you were lucky you got football that was it basically but yeah yeah and then like you said having a coach then have to take time out of a session to properly go through the basics which like I said I don't think a lot of people a lot of people think uh, not having played rugby means you haven't played it since school rather than you literally haven't haven't yeah. played and then suddenly the pathway programs put in a huge you know new perspective I think in addition to the pathway though um, East London is now working um, and Kat can talk about this to to change how many girls are getting exposed to rugby at school as well we've got the Cubs coming up yeah so um, we've just recently started um So we were approached um, by an ex-member who's a teacher in a local school, um, and uh, his the history of that is his daughter wanted to play wanted to play rugby, and was upset that it still wasn't available. Um, You know, it wasn't available when we were in school, and it's still not available um, now, unfortunately, to girls within schools, um, when within some schools, shall I say? Um, And so he started um, his own. Uh, pushed the rugby within his school um, and they've he started their own team within the schools and sessions within the school um, and then he wanted to make it more readily available um, outside of the school environment um, so uh, being we were his ex-club and local he come and approached us um, and asked if he could set up the team within within East London um which is which we have done um it's available from girls from age 11 to 17 at the moment um we run sessions on Thursdays um at 5:45 um it runs for about an hour an hour and a half um and yeah so far it's it's getting there um we've got you know quite a few girls coming down a lot of them are within um coming from the school uh, and John's set up within within the, his school, but hopefully we're trying to uh, branch out and trying to get um, more local girls from the area coming down. And the idea is, is then we've then got a direct feeder pool for the Vixens. So as soon as these girls reach 18, uh, they can then come straight into the Vixens and, you know, 
have fantastic knowledge and understanding of the game because they've been playing all this time uh, within the girls' team. Um, but yeah, it's it's a growing project, and it's if if we can if we can do it and do it right, it's going to be absolutely fantastic. That's incredible. And um, how important has kind of things like the women's Six Nations now being on TV been for like all all these girls attending? Are they you know have they watched rugby? Are they aware of it? Is it what's kind of the the feel there? Yeah, like generally, like is that saying, isn't there that you, you can't be something you, you can't be something you can't see? You know, like and representation is everything, especially for young impressionable girls. You know. And and just things being out there and showing that, that that oh actually I can do that you know it is okay for me to do that is a lot you know it is a lot for the you know for young girls and women in general you know that's showing that the that anything's possible and you know and they can put anything they do their mind to and they can see in front of them. I think there is a huge role that rugby could play in the lives of women and girls um, because there's a confidence that comes with it that I don't think you get with many other sports it's not just that you join a team um i think you get adopted into a family whether you like it or not people who will look out for you you know emotionally um as well as physically well they don't really look out for you physically the opposite tends to be true but um you know you get embraced into that and i i really struggled last year i went i went through a horrible place with my mental health and it was kind of rugby that kept me on kept me going because it was somewhere that I had to be because I felt a responsibility to other people and I and I I mean I genuinely wish that I had started playing earlier I wish that I had shown up at university and, and you know been recruited into the team there because I really could have done with that confidence with that that family during that time and I want that for other young women I want that for other girls I want you know I I want that kind of rugby message out there and first to, to move away from the idea that it's horribly dangerous and and you know no one should ever play to, to a place where it is something that can develop confidence it can develop fantastic team work abilities fantastic leadership capabilities in yeah. girls that want that and I, I think as well like you know it's as cheesy as it is like from the moment that I stepped into rugby it changed my life like generally changed my life I've met people through the club that I will be friends with for the rest of my life and I just without like I said without being too cheesy want to share the love do you know what I mean like generally I you need to be in it to experience it and know how that feels and know the the warmth and the appreciation and the love that you get with within a team you know, that you know that are there for you regardless. You know, and I we're we're where we are in East London, we have quite a high turnover of 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 women walking in and out of the club. And in the nine years that I've been there, the team has changed like drastically, dramatically, you know, like and but it that still doesn't matter, you know, like uh, we've had new people come in season after season and that same thought process that same like feeling is is embedded it's embedded within the club it's embedded within the sport and then it's then it gets in, embedded within you and like I said I don't think you'll truly ever understand it until you live it and it's pretty cool when I joined um there were players who were playing with the Vixens who I had assumed had been there for years and years and years but it turned out actually they only joined the previous year but that level of commitment and engagement between 
the players just you know there, it was no holds barred they they had fully immersed themselves and been taken into the the squad and i think from on a broader perspective rugby's inclusion isn't just about physical size or your you know identity it's i think it's very socially inclusive so the pathway that i went through that that group of people we had sitting around the table having a drink post training we had someone who was a refuse collector and we had someone who was a barrister yeah. right now there aren't many other circumstances where those people would meet as peers none right they didn't care nobody cares right they don't no. care if you bring it on the pitch and you do your job nothing else really matters and you're a good person generally like i was yeah. failing that one sorry <laughs> i'm a terrible person don't be silly <laughs> No, you know, yourself, as always. But I think, you know, you're right, though. It's If you meet people where they are, then rugby is open arms for you. That's been my experience, certainly. Well, I don't think that there's... I can't think of many team sports where you rely so explicitly on your teammates. Oh, definitely, like, yeah. To protect you from possible yeah. death. Well, no, exactly. <laughs> Even from just a pure, like, safety level. Like, I, I don't think that there is definitely kind of a relationship and a bond in rugby that I don't think you get elsewhere. And also to kind of uh, follow up on something I think both of you said there, um, and my, myself included, which I mentioned countless times, so I won't mention it again. But I don't know anyone who came into rugby later in life that didn't, one, regret getting back into rugby, and two didn't immediately wish they'd done it a lot sooner yeah. than they had. I don't think it like this, though. You know, I'm, I'm 51. Um, if I had started playing when I was 20, I chances are high that I wouldn't be playing now. <laughs> because You never I know. Talk, you never know. Well, if I'd been extremely lucky, maybe, or if I were back or something, then yeah. maybe. But, you know, I'm I'm thankful to have this, this chance now. I'm gonna, and I probably won't be playing for very long, um, realistically. But I'm enjoying it while I do. But I say to everybody else, don't wait. No, <laughs> doesn't matter where you are, you know, it, whatever it is. People say I'm not fit enough. It's like, no, we'll fix that part. You just have yeah. to show up. <laughs> yeah, big, you know, big being fit enough is contextual anyway. As long as you get to <laughs> my, my my main goal, every other ruck, and 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 I'm good. If I if I'm fit <laughs> enough to be able to do that. As especially as front row, I'll, I'll be fine. As front row, they wait for us, don't they? Yeah, yeah, they should stop. They'll knock it on yeah. and there'll be a scrum anyway. <laughs> They'll wait for us. It's fine. We're coming. So we end every episode with the same two questions. We've kind of, uh, I mean, we've kind of covered the first one, but in the form of a radio friendly soundbite, what would your message be to any future players looking to join the East London Vixens? Just, I would say probably don't be afraid. And come with an open mind and an open heart, and you won't regret it. That's lovely. I can't say anything good after that. I was going to say, um, I, I pity the clubs coming on after that. That was that that was, that was succinct to the point. It was great. I would say it it will it will be everything that you expect, but also much more than that. It'll give you gifts that you never really imagined, and lots of bruises. Lots, lots, so many bruises. <laughs> Buy some arnica before you show up. And in terms of, uh, I, I guess, recruitment, uh, which professional rugby player would you like to join your club? You can interpret that 
in any way you like to, whether that is active, retired, whatever. But which rugby player would you like to join? I would say for me, uh, I'm going to go current. I'm going to go Marley Packer uh, because uh, she not only is an incredible rugby player uh, and and a great leader, she looks like good fun. And a bit of a loose cannon. We love a loose cannon on the pitch. <laughs> Everyone loves a maverick. Yeah. I'm out of cat merchant, but we can't have too many cats. We've already got multiples. <laughs> um, if we're going to go current, I would take Hannah Butterman. Oh, oh good. great shout. Also great good shout. Because A, front row, we never never will say no to additional, additional front row. <laughs> um, and B, she also looks like a really good laugh. I, I love how... I think every, everyone who has answered this question has added the caveat of they look like they'd be a good laugh, basically. it's I, I love that that is always factored in of, that'd be good, yeah. we need that position, but also they look like they'd be a laugh and I just kind of want to hang out with them a little bit. Yeah. Well, that's what we've talked about, isn't it? That generally, that, that's what rugby's about. It's not uh, what goes on on the pitch, it's what goes off on the pitch as well. Exactly, exactly. And all that's left to say is Kat and Lisa... Thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to this episode and thank you to Kat and Lisa for joining me. The Vixens train every Tuesday and Thursday from 7pm at Memorial Recreation Ground, which is five minutes from West Ham Tube Station. You can find them on Instagram at eastlondon underscore rfc and on their website at eastlondonrfc.com. I will also include in the episode notes a link to more information on the player pathway that we discussed in this episode and also some links to resources and charities that aim to support trans and non-binary people everywhere. Roots Rock Riot was brought to you in association with Ickham and Rugby Club and is a podcast nobody asked for. You can find Roots Rock Riot on Instagram at Roots Rock Riot and if you want your club involved please drop us a message there or email us at rootsrockriotpodcast at gmail.com Next week for our final episode of season one we are heading back home to Ricelip and a club that my own team shares a clubhouse with the Ricelip women's rugby team.